Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. You guys remember the Seafair Parade last year? Like the, the gigantic parade that I'm not really sure what it means, but it's a big deal in the city, right? It's kind of like the beginning of like, it's not even the beginning of boating season. It's just like a big, what's that? It's Fleet Week. So it's like just just gigantic parade that kind of makes its way through downtown Seattle. And it's full of floats and it's full of partying and it's full of all sorts of wonderful things within the city. Last year, doing Seafair, I decided to run the Torchlight 8K. But the only reason why I wanted to actually run this race was because it was, well, I like running races, but the only reason why I wanted to run this one was because it was advertised as the last race across 99 before they were going to blow it up and through the Battery Street Tunnel before they fill it all in, right? So here I am. Running through the tunnel, I did it. And then also running along 99. It was like this really awesome race. It was really fun to run along 99. I mean, I'd seen people do it in traffic, but I'd never done it without cars. So this was really great. It was a lot of fun. I loved it. I enjoyed it. I had so much fun running this 8K race. And so next year, any runners here, please run it with me because I want to do it again. We won't be able to run across 99 because it's like in shambles at the moment. It's still there, kind of, kind of, sections of it, right? But run, run the 8K with me next year and we'll have a lot of fun. It's like sometime in July. Anyhow, when I was getting ready for this race, at the very beginning, if you've ever run in a race, like it's like a mad dash of chaos at the very front of the race, right? Like everybody is kind of like, no, 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 I'm better than you. I'm better than you. I can run faster than you. Get behind me, right? Because all the faster runners want to be in the front of the line so that they don't have to dodge the slower people, right? And so I'm sitting here thinking like, I'm good enough that... I'm starting to look around and like judge the people around me, right? I'm like, no, I got you. Oh, I definitely, yeah, mm-hmm. And so I start to make my way to the front, and I'm kind of like squeezing through people as you kind of like make your way around the crowd, right, to get, to get to the front of the crowd, to get to the front of the pack. And I'm probably five or six rows from the front, okay? Like I'm, I'm way up there in the front, but I'm a fast starter and a slow finisher, so it worked out great for me. Anyhow, as I'm, as I'm at the very front of this pack, I, I, I'd been hearing it, but I, hadn't, I couldn't understand quite what was being said. But it was really loud. It was just like coming through a bullhorn. And I thought, wait, are, no, that's not, that's not instructions for the race. They, they would have that come through the loudspeakers, not through a bullhorn. Or maybe it's just for the people in the very front. And so I'm, I'm kind of like looking around, trying to figure out where this like noise is coming from where this this like like it's not ear piercing but it's just super annoying noise and I'm kind of tuning my ear to it to hear it a little bit better like what is that and finally off to my right I see this group of people that kind of look like this screaming through the bullhorn you're all going to hell <laughs> I'm getting ready to run a race and I'm being told that I'm going to hell it was awesome 
let me tell you. Like, they were just there in this, like, space just screaming and shouting through the bullhorn. But it was only one guy. There's only one guy that was screaming through the bullhorn, but there was at least 15 other people with signs walking around and shouting as well, but you couldn't really make out what they were saying. It was really funny because as it started to get along, people started to yell back at them, right? Like they were just yelling back like, losers, you know, like, like weird sorts of things, just shouting and yelling and screaming back at this group of people with these signs. And I just sat there thinking like, is this effective? Does this really work? I, I don't know if you've been down around the stadiums during like game days, but like the Mariners opened up just on Thursday against the Red Sox, destroyed them wonderfully. It was beautiful. It was great. It was great. Uh, they should have swept the series, but they had a little bit of a hiccup in the ninth inning a couple days ago. Anyhow, it was, it was great. Like at the, at the opening day, there's all these throngs of people, and it was a sellout. Like it was full of people going to the game right out front. Those people screaming and shouting and yelling. And not just at the Mariners Day, but every time I go to a Sounders game, I see the exact same thing. People out front just yelling. And it's not even just the same group. It's different signs and different people every single time. And this one time during a Sounders game, like before I began, I got there really early. I did like the march to the match kind of deal. I was walking down the street, having a good old time. And as I got to the guy, I was like, I'm, I'm by myself. I'm bored. Let's talk to him. And so I went up to him and I said, hey, can I ask you a question? And he stopped. Like he stopped talking. And I was like, whoa. And what's funny is like when he stopped talking, I looked around and I saw everybody around me that was, that was walking, like their shoulders just dropped. And they were like, oh. it was like relief. They were like, thank God he shut up. And I'm not even sure I believe in God, right? Like it was like that sort of like, <sighs> like it was just this sense of like full body relief. And I, I, I looked at him, I said, hey, does this work? Does this work? And he said, oh, absolutely. And I sat there for a minute, I said, oh, that was the wrong question. Can, what, what does work mean for you? <laughs> Right? Like, what does it mean that this works for you? Like, like, what is your definition of success here in this space with this bullhorn, with these signs? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Does this work for you? The other day I was driving with a friend in my car and we were, we were driving through the city and we had been cut off no less than three times no less than three times, by cars with Jesus fish, right? Like, it was just like the Jesus fish on the back of the car, and we got cut off by then. Like, they were doing, they were just terrible, terrible drivers, right? Which is par for the course here in Seattle. But like, like at that moment, it was just, it was the Jesus fish. And my friend goes, Christians, man, they're the worst drivers. And I looked over at him, and I go, bro, you're a Christian, he goes, I know, but like, we're terrible. Like, we're terrible. If you're going to be that bad of a driver, don't put the Jesus fish on the back of the car. It's like, that's fair. That's fair. That's a fair point, right? Like, that's a fair point. The, the question is, how 
good are we at representing Jesus? Because this seems to be what a lot of people understand of who Christian of who Christians are and of who Jesus is. And the other side that don't ever see this thing, they see the Jesus fish on the back of the car and they're like, man, they're just jerks. They're rude. They cut people off. They think they own the road, right? Like it's like this terrible understanding, this terrible depiction of who and what Christians are. I think that we actually have a representation problem in the church. We have a representation problem as Christians. We don't represent this faith. We don't represent this Jesus well. We have a representation problem. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we see, we see Paul writing to the church and telling the church, you are, we, all of us together are ambassadors of Christ. We are ambassadors. We are representatives of Christ wherever we go and with whatever we do that we actually represent Christ. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. But what exactly is an ambassador? Like, we, we, we hear it on TV, right? Like, we, we, we hear about the fact that America has these ambassadors that go to these different countries, which is true of what this is all about. Like, ambassadors were a sent people. They were dubbed with the title ambassador, and they were sent out to be representatives of the values, of the virtues, of the goodness, of the wonder that was their country. And here is Paul saying, you are the carriers of the virtues, of the values, of the wonders and the goodness of Christ. You carry that with you, and you represent this Jesus wherever you go. You represent this Jesus that spread hope throughout the land, through his miraculous healings, to where he would quite literally touch people that were deemed unclean, that were deemed to be the refuse, the outcast of the land. He would touch them when no one else would. He was the one that invited all of those to dinner, all of those that were considered to be the refuse and the outcast of the land, those that were considered to be political traitors. He invited them to dinner and he sat around the table with them and ate a meal together with them in reconciliation and in hope. This was a Jesus that was flipping everything on its head, that was changing people's lives, that was changing their family destinies, that was changing everything and everyone around them. We are therefore ambassadors of that. We are the ones that are supposed to be representatives of that. Everywhere we go and with whatever we do, we are representatives of that. We are the image of that in this world. This is who Jesus is and what he has called us to be and do. It's funny because oftentimes I get this question, which I think is a really interesting question. It always starts with, 
you're a Christian. What do you think about X? Insert controversial, contemporary, political issue here, right? Or, or sometimes it goes, you're a pastor. What do you think about X? Which I think is a really good question and a really funny question, honestly. But I think the reason why this question comes to Christians and to pastors is because we are the representatives of Christ, People want to know what Jesus think about, thinks about these things, right? Like, they want to know, like, how would Jesus interact with this thing? And it's funny because you'll say, well, like, do you want my personal opinion? Like, what are you looking for here? And the response is typically like, no, no, no. Like, I, I don't necessarily want to know, like, your personal opinion. I want to know, like, what you think about these things based upon, like, the for formative like scriptural study or the, the, the ways in which Jesus has shaped you. That's, that's usually what they're trying to get out in that question. It has nothing to do with personal opinion. It's always like, what's the thing beneath the thing? What is the thing that created that personal opinion? That's what I want to know about. Perhaps one of the more, more recent ones that I've had that conversation with here in the city is people have said like, hey, what do you think about the wall? Oh, well, like, do you want my personal opinion, or do you want to know, like, what I think about, like, things? So, well, no, like, like, how does that sit with you and Jesus? Oh, well, I don't really want to answer that question from, like, a here's exactly what I think. I want to, I want to walk you through my process, right? I want to walk you through the process of how I come to these sorts of understandings of things. Like, my, my initial question is, like, is the wall loving? Like, is it, is it a loving thing? Because I'm not sure that it is. I'm not sure that it's not. But from how I understand Jesus and how I understand God, like the wall doesn't quite sit in a socio-political understanding of heaven. And I've, I've had people say, well, there's a wall in heaven. There's a wall in heaven. It's like, yes, there is a wall in heaven. Heaven has a wall in Revelation chapter 21. Yes, there is a wall in heaven. However, the gates are open. Revelation 21. Like, it's just, it's just right there. So, like, we can have these conversations, but, like, my understanding of the wall and of not the wall, like, Jesus doesn't understand borders. Jesus doesn't understand boundaries, because if we are to pray continually on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven, Matthew chapter 5, right? The, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is saying, like, this is how we pray. We should be praying every day that earth would look a little bit more like heaven. And if that's the understanding, if that's the reality, then I'm not sure that lines up with what we're supposed to be praying and what we're supposed to be seeing and what we're supposed to happen here, right? Like, these are the questions that people are asking. And they're like, oh, well, that's a different understanding of Jesus than I've ever heard before. Because... The people that represent Jesus are the people that are screaming and yelling and telling me, like, that I'm going to hell for no apparent reason, that I'm just going to hell, and that's, that's it. But you're saying that heaven looks different than that. That's actually an interesting place to be. That sounds like an interesting thing, like, right? Like, at the end of Revelation, it's this idea of, like, every nation and every tribe and every tongue will be together in this space with no borders, with nothing that holds us apart, this no separation from us whatsoever, that this is the idea of what is coming. Now, how that works from a policy perspective, I have no clue. 
right? Like, I have no clue what, what good immigration policy is, right? Like, it's not about that. It's not about what good immigration policy is. You're asking me, like, should there be a wall? And based upon my understanding of heaven and Jesus, no, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And I think we probably do some other things as a result, right? Like immigration-wise. Let's, let's figure out those questions. Let's walk through what that looks like from a better perspective, right? Like I think those are some of the questions that people have as they continue to ask us over and over and over, what do you think about this? They want to know how we're influenced by Scripture, how we're influenced by a Jesus that continues to mold us and shape us and prune our hearts to be a more loving people. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the very first thing in the fruit of the Spirit. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That these are the fruit of the Spirit. That this is the type of people that we are not only supposed to be, but this is how we represent Jesus in this world around us. A people that are more loving. A people that are more joyful. A people that are more peaceful and more patient, and kind, and gentle, and faithful, and self-controlled. Like, this is what it looks like to be a representative of Jesus in this world, and in this place. And so my question is, are you a good representative of Jesus? Are you a good representative of Christ in this city, in this place? The question that you can simply walk through is just, move to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, and say, like, am I more loving? Am I more peaceful? Am I more patient, kind, gentle? Like, walk through the list and ask yourself those questions. Allow those questions to be something that forms you and formulates how you interact with the world around you. But here's the thing. Like, that question sometimes can feel a little unfair. Are you a good representative of Christ? can feel a little unfair because we screw up all the time right? Like we blow it. We make mistakes in how we interact with people. We make mistakes in how we, how we love people or how we are peaceful. Like we, we fly off the handle from time to time. Last year, I got kicked out of a baseball game. <laughs> so I've coached now, this is my fourth season of coaching junior high baseball here on the Hill. And we were over in Northeast Seattle and I had a problem with the coach the previous season. He accused us of cheating unfairly. We don't cheat. It's really hard to cheat in baseball, right? And so he had accused us in the previous year. And so I wasn't looking forward to the game, but I showed up and we're ready to go. Kids are playing great. And all of a sudden, I'm noticing, like one of my assistant coaches notices. He's like, dude, they're cheating. I was like, what do you, what do you mean they're cheating? He goes, they're substituting kids out willy-nilly and just reinserting them in the lineup. Have you noticed this kid right here is like their best hitter? It's the third inning. He's already batted three times. What? And he shows me the book, and I was like, oh, no, this is a problem. So I walk up to the umpire, and I'm like, hey, uh, we got a problem. Like, they're, like, substituting the rules all wrong. Like, this kid has already batted three times. He shouldn't blah, 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 blah. And I walk through, like, this stuff with him, and he's like, he's like oh, no, no, it's okay. The umpire. And I was like, what? no, 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 no. It's not okay. And so the other coach comes up, and I'm talking with him, and I'm like, this is not legal, blah, blah, blah. I walk through the whole thing, and it's kind of like, the umpire's just like, nope, it's okay. And I was like, he's breaking the rules. I don't know why this is okay. And so I'm like, all right, we'll just deal with it. 
we'll just deal with it. I can't do anything. I will I play the rest of the game under protest, right? Like this is, this is garbage. So I go back to the dugout. But as the game progresses, the umpire is calling this terrible, terrible strike zone for both teams. Like for our team, like any time the ball was like three feet outside, it was a strike, like when my kids were up to bat. But it had to be like pinpoint accuracy when it was our pitchers, right? Like it was just this completely unfair game, and I was just getting more and more frustrated. And so I started chirping at the umpire, right? You, you, you chirp. I'm, I'm standing on third base because I'm being the third base coach as well, giving the kids the signs, telling them to steal and all that stuff. Stealing is okay in baseball. It's not an ethical quandary. And I'm, I'm, I'm chirping. I'm like, that was a ball, right? And, and the umpire is just kind of getting a little bit frustrated. And so I walk by him, and I go, I go, hey, I know you're not supposed to do this, but I'm going to talk to you real quick about your strike zone. He goes, you better not. I go, I go okay, your strike zone is really terrible. And I started to walk away. I said, it's, it's, and, and as I'm walking away, I'm saying, like, it is, like, this big for the other kids, but it's like this big for my kids, right? Like pitching was. Like it's terrible. Like I don't understand what you're doing. He goes, say one more word and you're out. And I was like, I kept my mouth shut, right? And I walk back to the dugout. I sit down and like we're just, my entire coaching staff, we're like seething. We're so frustrated and angry that like all of the hard work that my kids have put in all season long is being like just destroyed. Like, they're, they're, they're being made to feel like they're absolute garbage, and we're losing at this point only six to nothing, right? Like, it wasn't like we were getting blown out. Like, blown out in Little League is what happened to us yesterday when we lost 15 to 5, right? Like, that's blown out in Little League. We got 10 run ruled yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Woo! So, like, I, I make my way back out to third base, and I'm just so upset because he continues to call strikes that aren't strikes, and I chirped some more. I just chirped at him. I was like, that's terrible. That was a terrible call. I can't believe you would call that. That was three feet above his head, right? It wasn't three feet above his head, but it was at his face, right? And he called it a strike. And I'm like, it's not a strike. In any game, that is not a strike, right? And so I yell, and I yell. And that guy goes, come here. The umpire's like, come here. I was like, fine. So I walk, and he goes, you can either sit the rest of the game on the bench, or I'm going to throw you out. I go, you can't do that. You can't tell me to go sit on the bench. You can't dictate to my team what my team is capable of. It's not, that's not a part of the rules. That's not even in the Little League Green Book. Like, you just can't do that. He goes, you'd better stop and go sit on that bench or I'm going to throw you out. I go, you can't throw me out. You can't, I mean, you can throw me out, but you can't, you can't tell me to go sit on the bench. I'm going to go back to third base. And I walk away. He goes, you're out of here. And then I lost it, right? Like, I lost it. I start yelling at the guy. I'm screaming at the guy. And, I'm just, and I, just, I just unleash on him everything. Everything that I possibly can. I'm just unleashing. I have to leave the stadium. I have to leave the field now because I've been thrown out. I don't get to stay to watch the end of the game, anything like that. But I probably unloaded on him for a good two to three minutes. At least that's how long the video that I saw of the other coaches <laughs> videotaping my tantrum at the other coach, right? So we learn a little bit about what it means to play a game under protest, what it means to like yell at an umpire and all these sorts of things. And I had parents the next day that, that had emailed me and had sent me messages that were like, hey, thank you. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's not good. That's not good. They were like, thank you. But it's so impressive to see someone get thrown out of, I, I've never seen this in all my little league life of all my kids that, that have ever played, not only get thrown out of a game, but get thrown out and they never swore once at the umpire. 
I was like, yeah, that's right. That's right. I got this. I got this. I argued completely rules, and I yelled at him about the rules that he was breaking left and right. I made a protest to the league, all this sort of stuff, but I was suspended for a game as a result because you get thrown out of a game, you get suspended. Here's the thing. We make mistakes. We make mistakes. We will blow it on big stages and small stages. We will blow it in front of lots of people and small amounts of people. It's how we respond after we blow it that changes things. I, had, I knew that I was going to have that umpire again, right? Because there's only a limited amount of umpires. And I knew that we were going to play that team again because we have to play every team in the league a couple of times a year. And I just knew it was going to happen. And I was not looking forward to it. I was not looking forward to the humility that it would require for me to step back onto the field and apologize to that umpire. That umpire got his hand slapped, which was great for me. I felt a little bit vindicated, a little bit better, right? He's like, yeah, you broke the rules. Those are not the rules. You're not supposed to do that. And I felt a little vindicated. But when I stepped onto the field, I simply shook his hand. But this is before the manager's meeting, right? I, I shook his hand. I said, hey, I'm sorry for last time. It won't happen again. I'm good. <laughs> I hope you can forgive me. He's like, he's like yeah, I, I, get, I, I forgive you. It's great. He didn't take any responsibility for anything, mind you, right? And, but I didn't seethe at that. I didn't seethe at the fact that he took no responsibility for his act in it. It was pure forgiveness. It was saying, no, it's good. It's good. I, I own my stuff, and I'm going to let you do you, right? I also said something to the other, or the other coach on the other team during the manager's meeting, right? I said, hey, good game last time. Sorry. I'm sorry the example that I set for the kids on the other side. I'm sorry for the example that I set for the parents that were there. I had already talked to my kids and to the parents for my team kind of thing. I was like, I just want you to know that I'm, I'm sorry. We blow it. We blow it. But it's how we respond after blowing it. It's how we step into a new way of being as representatives of Christ, as ambassadors of Christ that change how it is that we interact with the world around us. And sometimes, sometimes we get it wrong. But sometimes, sometimes we get it really, really right. Back in February, during the snowpocalypse, <laughs> during the, the massive amounts of everything, we showed up at, at Safe Harbor at Tent City Five, like we have been doing for almost two years now showing up to serve a meal and every single week that we show up there's not a person like there's not a time that we show up that somebody doesn't say thank you for staying here like thank you for actually serving the meal because usually what happens i understand from what i've understood is like people just drop off the food and they leave right but we we bring the food that we have cooked we don't bring leftovers from work. We actually cook the meal, right? And then we show up and we stay and we serve and we, we talk and we hang out. And sometimes we get there early and we'll, we'll spend time with people. But this was in the midst of like one of the crazy like snowpocalypse Thursdays. And we had made our way out with the meal. And I'm not, it probably was taco night because it feels like it's always taco night, right? It's not, but it always feels like it's taco night. And we, we show up with the food and the meal and... Joseph, who like I like to call the unofficial mayor of Tent City, he's probably been like the longest resident. And by the way, Joseph just recently got housing, which is just like a really cool thing because like 
It's been a really long journey and a long road for him because he's disabled, and so he's needed like a specific type of low-income housing. It's been really hard for him to come by. He's moved in, and uh, some people have like helped him get beds and that sort of stuff for his, or a bed for his, his place and some, some plants and that sort of stuff. But as we show up and we've got the food all laid out, Joseph was like in a different type of mood that night. He's usually pretty gregarious, but he's in his, he's in his like motorized wheelchair and he like zips out the door and like does this whistle that is second to none. Like it is the loudest, like I can't even do it, right? Where you put your fingers in your mouth to whistle. Like, I don't know how people do that. I, I've been taught and I fail, right? I can't do it. But Joseph like let out this roar of a whistle. And then right after that, the church is here. The church is here. Yells it at the top of his lungs. Because we have been so faithful every single week. We have been such beautiful and wonderful representations of Christ. We have been ambassadors of Christ, of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of gentleness, of faithfulness self-control, because we have been there every single week. The church is here. The church is here. I about lost it. I about lost it as I heard him yell that through the entire camp. And people came, right? Snowy, nasty night. People came. People came to eat. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We get to be the representatives of Jesus. We're a one-year-old church. That's it. We're a one-year-old church. There is nothing that we cannot do. There are lives that we cannot, or that, that, we, that we can't not change. Double negative. There are lives that we can't not change. We simply have to be the representatives of Jesus everywhere we go and with whatever we do, whether it's in your family situations, whether it's at work, whether it's your neighbors that play the drums at three in the morning, whatever it is, we get to be that. And there is nothing that we as a one-year-old church can't not do. We simply have to have the imagination. We simply have to have the transformation of Christ at work in our lives, at work in our hearts, forming us and molding us and shaping us and sending us out as his ambassadors to our friends, to our neighborhoods, and to this city. We get to participate in this new story this new story of creation that is working all around us. I'm oftentimes struck by lyrics in songs. I, I really like, like, every so often, like, like, a song, like the lyrics in a song will stick out to me. And not only will it stick out to me, but it'll like, it'll like resonate deep within my heart. Right? It'll resonate deep within my soul. It'll be something that will like, spurn me forward. It'll be lyrics that I will never forget. And sometimes, just every so often, they become prayers for me. There's this one song that has become a prayer for me. 
In these bodies, we will live. In these bodies, we will die. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. In these bodies, we will live. In these bodies, we will die. Where you invest your love, you invest your life. Of course, the very next line is, awake my soul. Huh. <laughs> I wonder where we got the title for this whole series from, right? Thank you, Mumford and Sons. We appreciate it. All of your hard work that we could have just take and borrow for ourselves. Thank you. But what if this became the prayer of us? If this became our work, where we invest our love, we will invest our life. My call, my ask, my push for us as a church is that we will begin to invest our love in the people around us, that we will be the representatives of Christ all around us at all times and in all places, that we can see good things begin to shape around us because of what God is doing, because of who Jesus is and at work in us and through us. So may we be those people May we be those people that invest our love everywhere we go as representatives of Christ in this world and in this place. Father, thank you. Thank you for this church, this new life of a church, this one-year-old church. Father, we thank you for what it is that you have done and continue to do in and through us. Lord, may we be a representative of you here, not only in Queen Anne, but in the neighborhoods in which we live, the workplaces in which we toil, and the lives in which we lead. Father, may we be the best representation of you that we possibly can. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.